When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Welcome into episode 268 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, once again joined by Scott McLaughlin. Uh, the Bruins had an f- impressive 4-1 to victory over the Winnipeg Jets at the Garden. And Scott, it's it's really a microcosm of of how much better the Bruins are playing. Obviously, around this time last month, it was kind of the lowest of lows where they they fell to Winnipeg. They got completely dominated up in Winnipeg, and here we are now in uh, the, the back half of January, and you know, the Bruins are just playing so much better. So let's jump into our opening shifts right away. Yeah, well, I think a big part of this. Not really so much a turnaround, but just team growth over the last month has been Charlie Coyle, who was already having a really good season, uh, now increasingly playing like a legitimate number one center. Uh, He had a goal and an assist against Winnipeg. He's centering Pasternak and Marshan. He's up to 17 points in his last 14 games. That line has now played five games together. And when they've been on the ice, the Bruins have outscored opponents five to one. Um, he's on pace with 30 goals and 68 points, which sure, like that's still not a, a superstar number one center, but those are really solid number one center numbers. I mean, that's not that I'm comparing him to Bergeron as an all around player. Um, but I mean, those are the kind of numbers, you know, Bergeron and Krejci would put up on a, on a consistent basis is, you know, they were usually in the in the 60s, like occasionally topping 70, but they were never point-per-game guys. They were never 90 points. Um, when you have two wingers that good and, and Pasenak and Marchand, you know, the center can be sort of a two-way security blanket and doesn't have to be the, the high point score on the line. But, um, yeah, I mean, Coyle's more than carrying his weight and – really stepping up to answer what uh, obviously was this team's biggest question going into the year and, and even early on in the season. Yeah. Coyle has been awesome and, and, and definitely integral in, in the Bruins success this year. And, you know, if he, you know, him and Zaka being number one, number two centers was not a, at least production wise was not a guarantee and, and their success was contingent upon, can they elevate their game offensively? And so far, Zaka's probably maybe a little bit behind his pace from last year, maybe around the same. Um, but Coyle definitely is elevated. And, and had he not, I mean, the Bruins do pride themselves on structure and and and, and just a good team game overall. So I don't want to say like if Coyle had you know 15 points less, they wouldn't be a playoff team. It's just but they certainly wouldn't be atop the NHL standings. And that's kind of what my opening shift is, which is just 
and this might seem obvious to, 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 to listeners because the Bruins have been atop the standings all year long, but they look different now than they did earlier in the season. And, and, and that's, that's a good thing. Like I remember saying earlier in the season, like I didn't need the Bruins to be playing their best hockey in October, November, December. You want them playing their best hockey when it as approaching the playoffs, they've done so the entire time accumulating points, but they look different now. And, and I guess it's a, it's a long winded way of me saying the Bruins just really, they're very clearly for real this year. It's not that I didn't think they were a, a good playoff team, but you just watch how they played against Colorado, um, playing them twice in short order, obviously not winning both games, but just playing them hard, playing them tough, getting a win out of one of them. Um, Winnipeg is right at the top of the standings. They've been playing some of the best hockey in the league the last, the last, you know, couple of months, not giving up more than three goals in a game for a, a stretch of like 30 something games or whatever it was. So, and, and yeah, it's, it's just this, this Bruins team is, they, they are among, they are deservedly so among the best that the league has to offer this year, despite not having a high end number one center. Yeah, for sure. And the, the two Winnipeg games really mark like a, a nice sort of bookend of like where they were versus where they are. Because, yeah, that, that game, I mean, they're literally exactly a month apart. December 22nd, January 22nd. And that loss in Winnipeg was really one of the low points of, of the first half. It was their third straight loss. It wound up being four straight losses with Minnesota the next night. Uh, but it's five one game. It wasn't even close. Like honestly, almost not even as close as that score indicates. Like, they just were totally overmatched in that game. Um, and that was, you know, not that long after that stretch around Thanksgiving where they had also really struggled, you know, especially against like the Rangers, the Red Wings, a couple bad losses in there. And you're like, yeah, like. Yeah, the Bruins are still up there in points, but boy, it really looks like they have a ways to go before they can seriously compete with the top teams in the league. Well, now they are. You, you mentioned the two Colorado games, beating Winnipeg 4-1, to one, Vegas they played tough, and they're just playing much better hockey. Like, you know, we were all saying it the, much of the first couple months, it was like, Okay, record's good, but they they really are relying on goaltending a lot. You know, the offensive depth wasn't there. Um, they're spending a lot of time in their own zone, giving up odd man rushes. Like, there's clearly a lot to improve on. And you're seeing that now. Like, they, they've been a positive team in terms of scoring chances. Uh, I think it's five of their last six games. Um, they had a lot of games under 500 earlier in the year. Uh, in terms of scoring chances. So, you know, when you watch that Winnipeg game, the Jets had 10 shots on goal through two periods, zero high danger chances. Like Bruins were just in control. They were stringing together shifts in the offensive zone. And, you know, on one hand, like you could sit there and say, oh, well, they probably didn't get the Jets' best game. And the Jets didn't have Mark Shifley, which is obviously huge for them. But the Jets had still been playing really good hockey recently. They weren't on a back-to-back or anything, so it's not like they were tired. They did just get Kyle Connor back, so that's a big addition for them. Um, and I thought, you know, I thought the Jets 
played decent. Like, they didn't give the Bruins a ton of great chances either. The Bruins had to work, and they did. And they won, you know, two nights after just blowing the doors off the Canadians and in a very high-scoring, wide-open game. They go out and beat a much better team in, in a low-scoring, defensive, tight-checking game. You know, I'm not going to quite call it a playoff game. I don't think there was really that kind of physical intensity, but more sort of playoff style than than a 9-4 to four game, obviously. Yeah, and, and, and last night against a really good Winnipeg team is something that the Bruins have struggled with, not just this season, but even dating back a little bit towards towards last year in the playoffs, which is – closing out tight games in the third period with the lead. And th- it's certainly been an issue this year um, up until recently. So to to have a two-to-one lead in the third period while on the penalty kill in the dying minutes of a game um, and, to, and to get that insurance marker on the PK from Jake DeBrusque, also included Morgan Geeky, like it's just – it's a sign of, yeah, you have to close out teams when, when you're ahead in, in the third period of games. Now, something that we won't be able to see until April is how does this Boston Bruins team, how does their play translate in the postseason as it does pertain to the war of attrition and physicality? Unfortunately, because of their shortcomings last year, that is going to be something that we have to wait and see. And that's not that's not me being pessimistic. That's not me finding a cop-out like, well, regular season doesn't matter. The regular season does matter. But regular season hockey and postseason hockey are two different things. And unfortunately, they have not given themselves the benefit of the doubt because of their recent shortcomings. That said, we can't find it out now anyway. So what they are doing, they can only play the games in front of them and those are regular season games, and they are playing really well. And something that you're noticing with this team, be, the, the a big difference between the team now that's accumulating points and the team earlier in the year that was also accumulating points is that there's just a chemistry factor and a comfortability factor within this lineup, especially up front, that guys were still getting to know each other. One underrated thing about this Bruins team is that is just how much turnover there was between last year's team and this year's team. So many different faces, so many faces gone. It's not just Bergeron and Krejci. It's Felino. It's Taylor Hall. It's Tom. And I got myself against that. Um, and, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi obviously wasn't here too long, but he was here. Garnet Hathaway, same thing. Um, AJ Greer was around. There's just and, and you know insert Johnny Beecher, Loco, Steen's been playing a lot more. Obviously Patra, James Van Riemsdyk, Morgan Geeky. Um, I'm probably missing a few others. And then just the elevated roles of Zaka and Coyle. It's just so much, so much gelling had to take place. It can't happen overnight. And right now, Pasternak, Coyle, and Marshand are phenomenal. Obviously Pasternak's been amazing all year. Zaka. DeBrusque is resurging and Van Riemsdyk is playing well. That's great. But you know what's really giving people problems right now, Scott, is the Bruins' third line. The size and puck possession and strong play of Geeky and Frederick is giving the NHL problems. And that is something that is really dangerous going into the, um, eventually going into the playoffs this year. 
Yeah, and that, that third line with Lauko on it as well, by the way, Jacob Lauko now on a three. He had never even had back-to-back games with points. He now has a three-game point streak, goals, and two of the last three. Like, we've talked about, you know, the fourth line trying to find an identity, and now, you know, depending on which line you want to call the third, fourth line, like now there's a little more speed skill there where it's Bokvist, Heinen, Padra. Well, that third line is developing an identity with Geeky, Frederick, Lauka. Like, that's becoming, you know, a heavy forechecking, puck possession type line, which we've seen a lot of that from Geeky and Frederick. And now you're seeing a little bit more of it from Lauka kind of elevating his game um, in a bigger role with better players. And yeah, they, they've been great. I mean, they had multiple shifts against Winnipeg where they just hem them in and like were relentless and, and were getting pucks and bodies to the net. Um, obviously, you know, it's, like I said, scored uh, with Lauko scoring. You mentioned Geeky involved in, in DeBrus' shorthanded goal. Um, you know, Frederick, I think Frederick and Geeky both now have 11 points in the last 14 games. Um, I mean, that's just, that's tremendous production to be getting from third liners. And I, you know, you mentioned chemistry and gelling and that that's certainly a big part of it. Another part of it is all those new guys having to learn a new system in, in so many cases. And we've heard that from guys, you know, Kevin Chattenkirk being a healthy scratch and talking about sitting down with Monty and, and Jim Montgomery in Columbus and, you know, having to play faster, having to break bad habits that he picked up in Anaheim. Uh, we've heard, you know, Jesper Bokvist recently, um, when he talked to the media, said, you know, it was a new system. It took him a while to learn it. His, his time in Providence playing the same system re- really helped. Morgan Geeky, Matt Potter, like new systems for them. And, you know, it's a lot of NHL teams play relatively similar systems. Like there aren't huge, huge differences from one to another, but there definitely are some. And in some of those cases, like those were pretty dramatic changes for those guys, you know, in, in Anaheim, Shattenkirk played on a team that really never had enough possession for defensemen to activate and get involved. Like he had to get back to something he was, you know, he's obviously done before, but not in like the last three years. Patra in juniors, said um, Guelph played more man-to-man defense. He comes here, and now it's all zone. Like, that is a pretty big adjustment, and you're doing it at the NHL level. So add in the whole adjustment of speed and, and physicality and all that. Like, it's, yeah, that there was a lot of growing that this team had to do and learning, and you're you're definitely starting to see it come to fruition. Scott, I'm going to name you three teams, and there's two things – that they all share in common. Actually, you know what? There might be three things. Uh, nope, nope, two. Okay, Vancouver, Colorado, and Dallas. There's two things they all share in common off the top of my head. Hmm. Can you give me at least one of them? Vancouver, Colorado, and Dallas. Uh, I would say they all have an excellent number one defenseman. Uh, 
<laughs> okay. All right. There's 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 definitely more they have in common than I'm giving them credit for. Yeah. Uh, want, want me to just spoil it for you? Sure. All right. Not only are they all Western Conference teams, they're the only teams in the National Hockey League with more goals for this year than the Boston Bruins. So the reason I bring up the conference part is that that means that there's no Eastern Conference team that has more goals for this year than the Boston Bruins. And potentially fact check me on that, Scott, but just looking up and down the, the, uh, the standings, I believe that to be true. Here we are in January, almost February, no Patrice Bergeron, no David Krejci, none of the aforementioned players that they had last year up on offense that I mentioned. And they are the highest scoring team in the Eastern Conference right now as we approach February. I mean, yeah. that is absolutely incredible. And that 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 that's that is indicative of Don Sweeney, who I have been hard on in the past at times. I've also applauded him in the past. I'm not a Don Sweeney hater and I'm not a Don Sweeney lover. I think he I think he's been a in general a, a good GM for the Bruins, but he has done he did a really, really good job this year identifying players for cheap. We've talked about that in the past. And combine that with just the players themselves stepping up and and playing a team game. That is again, we're approaching February. That's no accident. Yeah, on, on a per game basis, the Maple Leafs are 0.01 goals per game ahead of the Bruins. Uh, but that's it in the East. It's Canucks 3.79, Avs 377, Stars 363, Oilers 3.5, Leafs 349, and then Bruins 348. And the um, Bruins defensive game is far better than Toronto. So it's it's yeah. just like and goaltending, yeah. Yeah, just everything. Um, but since since Christmas, to kind of circle us back around to like how much the Bruins have improved since that break and, you know, using that to reset. Bruins are the number one offense in the NHL since then. So you're now talking almost a full month um, that they've been the best offensive team in the league, averaging over four goals per game. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned that streak that Winnipeg had. They had gone 34 straight games without giving up more than three goals. And the Bruins break that. Now, you know, the fourth goal goals an empty netter, but nonetheless, like, you just did something against the statistically the best defensive team in the NHL um, that no one else had. And, you know, and the Bruins did a lot of that damage at five on five, which is Winnipeg's biggest strength. They've been a, an excellent five on five team this year. Uh, their special teams are actually like shockingly disappointing. They're kind of like bottom and definitely bottom half and maybe even like bottom third of the league in both power play and penalty kill. And the Bruins are the better five-on-five team against them, especially for the first two periods. You know, Winnipeg made a push in the third, which you have to expect. Again, they're a really good team themselves. They're not going to go quietly. But that, you know, also says a lot about the Bruins to kind of take that, you know, take that punch, absorb it, and then counterpunch, hit back, and and extend the lead and, and close out the win. Yeah, and you know, Scott, again, and we've talked about it in the past, but like the lack of an elite number one center has always made us feel like, yeah, there's just, there's a, they might have trouble scoring because people are going to be asked to do too much, maybe potentially. But I mean, if you look at the Bruins roster right now, especially if you keep it to like, you know, their forwards that are more or less going to play a full season, like, like the Bruins third and fourth line right now, like 
Trent Frederick, Morgan Geeky, those guys are already in the mid-20s in points. Geeky with 23 points. Um, Dan Heinen is in a fourth-line role right now, 17 points in 38 games. Matthew Patra, 15 points in 32 games, like just ble- just beneath half a point per game pace, and he's in a fourth-line role. Boquist hasn't played enough games to give a fair assessment. I guess what I'm trying to say is, yeah, this team might lack a, a true elite scoring number one center, which you've discussed already on this episode. Bergeron and Krejci never wear those things offensively, um, but they also have that elite guy in Pashnak, um on the wing. You're looking at a Bruins team that, like, up and down their forward lines, like, they're all going to, like, their, their, their lowest scoring, scoring forward this year could end up in, like, the high 30s in points. Boquist, no, because he's not to – like, I'm just trying to say that guys that have a full – uh, close to a full season of games or a reasonable amount, they're all going to finish in 30, 30 plus points in, in scoring this year. Yeah. Or, or at least, yeah. Like at least mid twenties. And that's besides loco. Right. And I was just going to say, like, think about what we were talking about the fourth line, not all that long ago where, you know, it was Lauko, Beatrice, Steen. And I think at one point, like with a couple games left in December, they had gone the entire month with one point between them. And it's like now all of a sudden you just look so much deeper and it does feel like any of their four lines can score. Any of their four lines can kind of swing momentum on a shift, get some ozone time at least, create chances. Um, And, you know, I thought a fairly important development last night was, and part of it was maybe out of necessity, but Montgomery would continue to roll all four lines on the third period in a one-goal game, which – We've seen him not do. We've seen him shorten the bench. And I asked him about that after the game, and he said, first thing he said was, well, everyone was playing well. So really had no reason to shorten the bench. And then the same thing is he did say, like, you know, we're in a busy stretch of the schedule. He knows they have a back-to-back coming up Wednesday and Thursday. So that factors in it too. But but the first thing, the, the main part of that was everyone was playing well. And then I, I had wondered at one point if, if – Padro is going to have to ride the pine again because, and, and Brick highlighted on the Nesson broadcast, he had, you know, I thought a pretty tough turnover in the D zone. He kind of held, 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 wasn't originally under pressure, ended up under pressure and flipped a backhand off the glass that was kept in the zone. And I asked Montgomery about that on Tuesday after practice. And he said like he actually didn't really have a huge problem with that. He said that the support on the play wasn't great and he tried to make the right play, just getting it off the glass and out of the zone, which is, you know, better than trying to, all right, I'm going to throw this pass across the high slot or something. You risk getting it picked off. Um, Obviously it didn't work out, but I I thought that was, it it was nice to see him stick with Potra and like not bench him stick with all four lines. Um, and it ended up being Potra's D zone work that poked the puck out into the neutral zone where Lauko ends up drawing a penalty that sends the Bruins to a late power play, um, which then they end up taking a penalty of their own. Uh, Jets get an abbreviated power play, but then DeBrus scores shorthanded. So all works out in the end. Yeah, and look, the game happens so fast, especially at the pro level. I've never really been a fan of a coach benching a player based off of a turnover because 
it happens to everybody. I mean, it happened to Martian on, on Winnipeg's first goal. Now you can sit there and say it was miscommunication with Coyle and maybe Coyle should have been there. Um, but it happens. I think when a player needs to sit down as if it's, you know, if it's repetitive, if they're just kind of not getting it. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I was glad to see that. Uh, now coming up next for the Bruins are the Hurricanes, Scott and Carolina has historically in, in recent years proven to be a really difficult matchup for the Bruins. And in my opinion, it's because they make it tough to get to inside ice. They have uh, big defensemen. They got good size in the back end, long sticks. Um, they just make it tough to get inside. And getting to inside ice is what the Bruins needed to improve upon this year, in my opinion. This is a good test to see if having uh, a, um, a more improved developing Trent Frederick and adding a Morgan Geeky and Charlie Coyle. Like, let's see these fo- – James Van Reems, like these forwards that have length and size, let's see if they can have better luck getting to the net against Carolina, which is – you know, it, again, they play that style of hockey that isn't always the funnest to watch, but it's playoff style hockey. Yeah. And even, you know, I think internal improvement from guys like Coyle attacking more this year to Brusque now going to the net much more than he was earlier in the season. Um, yeah. It, and Carolina's a team that's playing a lot better now. They, they got off to a slow start, uh, you know, to the point where you're like, Hurricanes going to be in danger of missing the playoffs. Like they were way down there in the standings early on. Well, they're eight two and one in their last eleven. They're firmly entrenched in a playoff spot. Them, them in Philly, kind of battling for second and even pushing the Rangers for first in that Metropolitan Division. Um, they their goaltending was awful early in the season, and they've sort of settled a little bit there with uh, Piotr Kachekov. Um, playing better for them. So, yeah, it is a great test. Another great test. You know, Winnipeg was. We talked about Colorado, Vegas. Like, this is a this is a tough stretch of the schedule for the Bruins. And, you know, then right before the All-Star break, you're at Philly. That's a team that is a lot better this season and looks by, you know, I won't go too far into all the analytics, but by all measures, it looks like a pretty legit team. Like it's not fluky what the Flyers are doing this year. Um, and even in between, you, you're yeah, you're in Ottawa, which should be a give me. That's not a very good team, but it's the second night of a back to back with travel, so that's going to be a challenge too. Um, yeah, it's if the Bruins get into this All Star break with, you know, say winning two out of three of these, like that's that's going to be a hell of a way to go in, but. Obviously, they you know they've got to do it first. This is this is a good test for them. And looking at the the current standing, Scott, it's it's interesting to note that should things should the season end tomorrow or today, you would have five Atlantic Division teams in the playoffs, which I think would be the first time that's been the case since this realignment. I believe the Metro has has offered five teams once before in the playoffs. I think the year. This was pretty early on in the restructure, but when the Bruins played the Senators in the first round, um, I think the Atlantic only had three that year. I think that they were the two and three, and both wild cards were from the Metro. Right. So, so this, so this may be the first time if things hold Since up at the end, yeah, that the Atlantic. Right, but but what you're saying is that was the Metro that had five teams. This right. would be the 
This would be Atlantic having five teams for the first time. Correct? I thought – is that so? Is that where we are at this point? Yeah, right now. Yeah, we might have we might have just confused each other. But, yeah. So, yeah, right now it's five Atlantic. Yeah. Right, which I think would be the first time that that's happened, if that were to happen. What years? What year? Although, what year like, by, by points percentage, I guess technically, like, Capitals and Devils are – Nah, 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 nah. Just ahead of that. Tampa. But, like, it, they're all right there. They're all we, we don't within a point that. of each other, two points, yeah. We look at the hard points. I don't care if some teams has like eight games in hand. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I guess the reason I think I think about that is because I, I look at the standings and this would be a really good crop of teams in the Eastern Conference to to have in the playoffs. Like, like it's good for the NHL when the Flyers are in the playoffs. It's good for the NHL when the Red Wings are in the playoffs. Obviously, the Rangers are there, uh, the Bruins and in, 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 in Toronto. A um, couple of teams that... I mean, the Devils, everybody expected to be there. The Islanders, we'll see what, what Patty Waugh can do. Pittsburgh, mm, they're in trouble. But um, anyway, just kind of a random thought. Looking Pittsburgh at the should be – man, they really should be better than, than their record. But They absolutely they, should be. They, they can't seem to get out of it, so who knows? Mm. It's such a crowded field that mm. there's, there's going to be a lot of teams there beating up on each other over the second half of the season for sure. And – by the way, that means a lot of desperate opponents playing the Bruins. Like they're not, there aren't going to be a whole lot of games against teams that are either firmly in it or firmly out of it. There's going to be a lot of games against teams right on the bubble. Yeah, combine that with the fact the Bruins have learned from last year. And again, it's not as though the Bruins last year were playing out the string in the regular season, like not trying to win, not trying to keep good habits. What I was afraid of last year, and I think it came to fruition, was that it just it just happens subconsciously. It just does. You don't have that that desperation when you're 50 points ahead of everybody else. And you can't even manufacture it, even though the lip service was there. Um, I don't think that's the case this year with the Bruins. Like, they're, they be, be, combine that with, like, they don't want that to happen again. But also, like, their opponents are going to force them to, to, play, uh, to play desperate, I think, every night, which is good. Yeah, and it's like... It sounds weird, but it's almost a silver lining of not being as talented. And again, like they've been high scoring recently, but they have to work more for their wins this year. And not just because of their opponents, but because they're not talented enough to take two periods off and then just turn it on the third and come away with a 4-2 win. Like that they're not if they're winning four to two, it's because they probably played at least two and a half really solid periods um and that's good like that's that builds the habits you need for the playoffs now of course you can still be not talented enough to win in the end but um yeah to your point in terms of the just like the way they have to work for wins they're definitely testing themselves more this year what did her brooks tell his boys gentlemen you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone or maybe that was just a kurt russell ad lib i don't know if that actually was said in real life (laughs) According to the movie, it did. Um, but but listen, like Will Will does beat skill. Honestly, if skill doesn't have the will to match up, like absolutely it can. We we saw it last year. The, last year's Bruins team was far superior on paper than certainly Florida, and I would beg any other team that was in the, that that postseason, maybe except for like 
Colorado if they were clicking. Um, and and they were out in the first round. And you know the at the end of last season in the regular season felt a lot felt very similar to the beginning of this season where the Bruins were winning and they were gaining two points every night. But I didn't love the way the Bruins were playing heading into the playoffs last year. Um, and I didn't love the way the Bruins were playing in the beginning of this year either, but they were still collecting points. But right now it's not the case right now. They're, I love the way they're playing. And I think, I think most people do. So. Yeah, for sure. Circling a little bit back to the fourth line, because this seems to be a, it's, I guess I'm not surprised because it's Patra and everything around Patra has been a talking point this year, but do you have any problem with moving, moving him to the wing? And what did, what did you think of, of his first game there. Yeah, I thought he was fine. And obviously there was the, there was a turnover that you, you talked about earlier, but with a young player, I, I playing center at the, in the national hockey league is very difficult. And I, I don't think that putting somebody on the wing if is a bad thing because it helps you, helps you acclimate just a little bit more without the, without the, the spotlight on you. And, and I still think like, okay, so you're not playing center but you're still in the middle. You're still between the boards of an NHL game. So it's, it's better than, than not playing at all. I mean, Patrice Bergeron played wing for a lot of his rookie year with Michael Nylander and Sergei Samsonov. Um, it happens. It, it happens. I, I don't have an issue with it. No, me neither. And, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, maybe the Bruins just misspoke or, or didn't, might have not even known, but early in the year there seemed to be a, couple times where whether it's Sweeney or Montgomery Montgomery kind of hinted at like well Padres pretty much only played center so they didn't really think wing was an option um Patras said he's actually played quite a bit of wing in the past and Montgomery uh today on Tuesday after practice said that he had played more wing even last season than he initially realized so Again, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I watched a whole lot of Guelph games last year. Um, so I can't tell you how many he'd split, you know, center versus wing. But it does seem like there's at least some experience there, which there had previously been a narrative that, like, he had only ever played center. So, um, you know, he said he's pretty comfortable there. And obviously, you know, to your point, like, it it definitely eases some of the pressure and responsibilities here. Not now. Look, if you're the first forward back, you still have to play defense like a center. But in general, you're not as low in the defensive zone. You're not doing as much skating, covering as much area. You know, in the, the Bruins' zone defense, like the center is sort of the the cleanup in in every other everyone else's zone. Like you're the constant support moving all over. Yeah. If you're a wing, you have your one area, and like that's all, that's kind of all you're responsible for. So yeah. um, it, it should take some pressure off them. And that's not a bad thing at all for a 19 year old kid going through kind of the, the dog days of an NHL season right now. Right. I mean, most 19 year olds are in their second semester of college right now, just starting. So, um, and, and what's wrong with versatility, right? I mean, Pavel Zaka, has played wing and center this year. Charlie Coyle has played wing and center in his career. Trent Frederick, Morgan Geeky, Jesper Boquist, like Potter. Like, it, if you have a natural center, there's nothing wrong with, you know, making sure that they can play the wing as well. Because sometimes 
sometimes it, it the situation calls for it. Maybe you like maybe you like his chemistry with somebody else, and that somebody else happens to be better fit as a center. Like it doesn't. It's never a bad thing to be as versatile as possible. So, um, all good for me. Um, any final thoughts, Scott? I know it's been maybe a quick episode, but um, we kind of covered most bases so far. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, one one thing that like we haven't really talked about, and it wasn't a huge part of um, of Monday's game either. But the Bruins over the last month are thirty five percent on the power play, number number two in the NHL, and that it almost feels a little surprising because I feel like they still have some pretty sloppy power plays, but. You watch games around the NHL, and it's like every, every team does. You know, no one, even the teams that are near the top on the power play, like none of them are really as well oiled of machine as as you might think from afar. Like they all turn it over on entries. They, you know, what like it just happens. Um, but yeah, I was like kind of looking at that, and I was like, feels like we don't, you know, don't usually spend a ton of time on the power play and. Maybe part of that is that the Bruins still don't draw a ton of penalties. That's still not right. not a strength of theirs. But um, you know, that was another area that kind of started the year a little bit slow and has now been clicking really well for for a month. Do you prefer Coil in the bumper or Zaka on that top unit? Because it looks like in practice today, from what you tweeted out, they put Zaka back there, and you know, with with yeah. JVR in that front and Coil in the bumper, I kind of like that size through screens. Same. And stuff. Yeah, because I, I like. I mean that top unit, like it really feels like it's as most dangerous when it's running through JVR. Yes. Yes. Both like the true net front role, but also when he gets that puck on that right doorstep, like you just feel like he can make something happen, whether it's taking to the net himself or, or making the right pass. Like he's in a dangerous spot and he knows how to make something happen from there. And I like coil the bumper because it's it's a right shot so that's the one-time option for Van Riemsdyk to just pop that right back out to someone um but you know obviously Zach has played there as well so I think they're still gonna tweak from game even you know against Winnipeg like I think Coyle started the game with the first unit and then they end up switching to to Zaka so there's you can mix and match and it might even depend on, you know, something like like what – who does the other team have out there defending or how do they defend? Like is one passing lane into the bumper going to be more open than another? Like all, all those things. So I think it's fine either way, but I probably have a slight preference for Coil there. Yeah, I think right now I do too. And, and also he deserves it. He's not that points or everything, but he's – the third leading scorer on the team and uh, a significant amount of points more than, than Zaka. I think maybe you're on 10 or so. So, I mean, he also deserves it on paper right now too. He's, I think he's besides uh, Martian and Pashnak, I think, I know it's easy to say this based on the, the, the listing, but he has been their third best forward this year. Yeah, for sure. Like it's, it's really impressive to watch because, you know, I, I was thinking of this too. And, and I asked my government about it and he, didn't really give me like much of an answer, but thinking of it from Coyle's perspective of a guy who earlier in his career did get quite a bit of top six time in Minnesota. 
um, especially on the wing at times, but even as like a number two center there. But his whole time in Boston, he's been the number three center. And I was like, you know, for a guy now over 30, I feel like it would be easy. Like a lot of players might kind of just accept I'm a third line center. And once that you sort of mentally put yourself there, like it can almost block you from being more than that. Like if you're not still aspiring to that and Coyle obviously has put in the work and absolutely not at all limited himself. Um, And, you know, like it's easy to say, you know, yeah, someday I want that opportunity, but when you have Bergeron and Krejci in front of you, like, you know, realistically you're the number three center and he's, continued to work towards that and now has really taken advantage of this opportunity, which is one that he didn't take advantage of. You know, we've talked about two years ago when Krejci was abroad, he got that chance to start the year there and and didn't stick. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and you just, yeah, you nailed it right there. That, that was his opportunity. And I'm sure that when Krejci came back, he, he was probably like, well, that may have been it for me. Like he, like not he probably knew maybe one of the, those guys, if not both, would retire before he was no longer a Bruin himself. But I'm sure that I'm sure that ate at him. Like he had a he had a golden opportunity alongside uh, Taylor Hall and uh, who who was, was it was it Hall and Pasternak that year? Bergeron, Debrusking, and Marshan. I'm trying to remember. No, I think Debrusk was lower in the lineup. It, was Craig Smith there at? Mm, oh, there you go. Maybe it was. Yeah, something. I think he, I think he might have started on line with Hall and Smith. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then things like pretty quickly got changed. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he's been great. So so great, in fact, that like I just don't think, even if there was an opportunity to be had to bring in a a number one center, it's like well, uh, well, he is a number one center as we talked about, but like like a, an outside number one center for for a good hockey deal. It's like, I don't even, if I'm the Bruins, like I'm just looking to add a solid, like, you know, middle six, top six forward anywhere you can, preferably on the wing. Like, and, and just look, roll with what you have, roll with what you have. Like this team is clearly good. Um, I do think they need another, another, you know, really solid, solid middle six forward that can score. Maybe that person, you know, plays in a third line with Frederick and Geeky. Maybe they find their way in a top six role, but he's played, Coyle's played so well that I just, I think their priorities have changed. Like, there's no need to sell, sell the farm this year at the deadline. Don't go crazy. Just roll with what you have and add where you can. Yeah, I know. Everyone's like Elias Lindholm, Elias Lindholm, and they're, they're different situations. I'll give you that. Like, Coyle has more talent around him, but. Elias Lindholm, 30 points in 46 games this year. Charlie Coyle, 38 points in in 46 games. Like Again, it, now if you want to say, you know, maybe Lindholm's an upgrade over Zaka or bumps Zaka to the wing or whatever, it still, you know, makes your team stronger overall. But in terms of, you know, the idea of the, like if, if you think the Bruins need to add a legitimate number one center still, maybe you still have questions about, whether Coyle can keep this up, like you've got to be shooting higher than Elias Lindholm then, because that's, he's not a clear upgrade over Charlie Coyle right now. So um, yeah, it's, it's, 
it's great. It's, you know, huge credit to, to Charlie Coyle. Yeah, been very fun to watch, very impressive. And obviously he seems like a, um, you know, a great person off the ice too and, and treats the media well from, from what you see. Just seems like a really, really, really good person. So uh, happy for him on the, on the pod here. So uh, any final takeaways, Scott? Uh, no, not really. Not from me. Uh, Loco likes you know, grapes. What's that? Loco yeah, likes Loco does like, does like grapes. Uh, you know, the, the Bruins Twitter, you can hear my, my hard-hitting question to, to Jacob Loco about grapes. <laughs> uh, we, I mean, we've barely touched on the defense, but, you know, I guess worth noting, Parker Weatherspoon goes in for Kevin Shattenkirk mm-hmm. on Monday, and I think you're probably just going to see some rotation in that spot for a while. Like none of those guys are going to sit too long. What a spoon certainly doesn't deserve to sit for like five games straight. Chat and Kirk's not going to either. I, I would venture to guess that Forbert probably draws out for one of these two with the back to back, whether that's Wednesday or Thursday night, having just returned from an injury, but you know, you're going to see guys in and out. And again, I, I think, Grizzlick's been playing better recently, but like it wouldn't shock me if he's the one who rotates out at some point either. So um, they they have seven defensemen they like, and really probably even eight with Mason Laura down in Providence. So definitely um, eight with him down in Providence. Yeah. So some guys are going to be in and out for a while. Yeah, and and like the combination of many things, right? Injury, Shattenkirk being um, uh, a veteran that you know wouldn't it wouldn't hurt to have a couple of uh, nights off here and there. Uh, Forbert's rusty. Uh, Watherspoon's still earning his stripes. Grizzly still working his way back to form. Lorai being down. Like there's so many reasons why you'll just naturally see. I'd be surprised if you go more than two games, seeing the same, same 60 on the ice, of the Bruins the rest of the way. Personally. Yeah. And, and we, we didn't, uh, we didn't touch on our last episode because we had actually recorded before this game happened. But the the first game, Beecher and Lorai went down to Providence. Uh, they both score in, in a 2-1 win. Beecher scores in regulation. Lorai scores the overtime winners. So, you know, talk about seeing two guys respond the, the way you would hope and, and not, you know, getting down on themselves and going down there and taking, you know, five games to kind of get things going. Exactly. No, yeah, that's that's exactly how you want to see them respond. And, and yeah, I mean, Lorai just seemed like, he seemed like you as a player who should be the league ahead of where he is on that overtime goal. Um, as for Beecher, I mean, Beecher, he's going to have to work his way back into the lineup. I'm sure again, injuries happen. So there'll probably be a natural call for him at some point, but um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Montgomery likes the fourth line that, or, you know, the quote unquote fourth line that the Bruins are icing right now. And I, I do too. I think it's a, I think it's a good look. So um, this Bruins lineup right now offers, Again, they don't have that elite number one center that can that produces at an elite level, but they have they have four lines that can that can score anytime they're on the ice. And and to your point, Scott, we couldn't say that um, weeks ago when their fourth line was Beecher, Loco, and Steen. It was offensively anemic, and um, so right now everything's going in a great direction for the Bruins. So, yeah. Um, all right. So I think that probably wraps up this episode. Um, we'll, we'll be back, uh, with a Friday episode. Um, yeah. And, and Bridget will be back. Yep. Yep. Um, Bean pot tonight. 
yeah, we're 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 recording before uh, the women's beanpot final, but I'm confident saying congrats to Bridget on a great call of the game. Congrats <laughs> to BU on winning the beanpot. Um, and if if for some reason either of those things aren't true, I, I don't want to hear. It. Yeah, exactly. We'll scrub this from the. Yeah. We'll scrub the second part of that, um, <laughs> regardless. Um, but yeah, so that's great. So then we have uh, yeah. So the Bruins and the Hurricanes are on uh, Wednesday. Do they play Thursday, Scott? No. Yeah, Thursday at Ottawa. Okay, so we'll have two games to react to on Friday, and then I think there's a Saturday matinee game. But so we'll re- we'll, we'll be able to react to Carolina and Ottawa before our next uh, record during our next yeah. recording. So, all right. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you very soon.